This week's episode of the Rural Woman Podcast is brought to you by the patrons of the Rural Woman Podcast. This amazing group of individuals contribute financially to the Rural Woman Podcast to ensure the stories of women in agriculture hit your earbuds each and every week. Want to join them in supporting the stories of women in agriculture while getting access to extended episodes, patron-only episodes, and other great perks? Head on over to wildrosefarmer.com to learn more about how you can become a patron through Patreon. Welcome to the Rural Woman Podcast, a platform for women in agriculture, ranching, homesteading, and more to share their stories. I'm your host, Caitlin Dubin. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of the Rural Woman Podcast. This week, you'll meet Larissa Kwozak. Larissa began beekeeping as a hobby in Philadelphia 10 years ago. She caught bee fever almost immediately and just a few years later moved across the country to take a job at an apiary in Hawaii. For the next five years, she worked for a commercial apiary caring for bees and educating visitors at their beekeeping museum. She then started her own bee farm, Bee Happy, where she sold comb honey to chefs and resorts in Hawaii. Larissa's newest project is Beekeeping Made Simple, an online beekeeping education website where Larissa turned her in-person beekeeping classes into video lessons so that people from all over the world can learn beekeeping at home. The goal of Beekeeping Made Simple is to take the overwhelm away from beekeeping and confusion beginners may have and make beekeeping fun. It was so neat to talk to Larissa. Not only have I not spoken to anyone who is solely a professional beekeeper at an apiary, but I also haven't interviewed anybody from Hawaii yet. And if I recall the day that we did this interview, it was very snowy and very cold here. And it was very beautiful in Hawaii, as it always is. I'm so excited for you guys to get to learn more about beekeeping from Larissa and all of her stories she has. Before we get to her interview, I just want to say a warm hello and welcome to Stephanie H. She is our newest patron at Tier 5 over in our Patreon community. Stephanie can now listen to the Rural Woman podcast ad-free and as well as entered into a quarterly hat draw where she can win a snazzy new Rural Woman podcast hat. And whoever wins the one in June is going to be the first person to have one of these snazzy new hats besides me, of course. But if we're being honest, Mr. Wild Rose Farmer took the hat from me and it's now his hat. So I'm I'm also looking for one. <laughs> If you guys haven't been over to Shop Wild Rose Farmer lately, there are two new designs over there, one of them being the Wild Rose Cat Ranch designs, as well as my wonderful new podcast apparel, and there will be new stuff added to there shortly. So be sure to get your t-shirts and your tanks, and I will add the hat on there after I send it out to the newest winner over in our Patreon community. If you guys want to learn more about becoming a patron 
of the Rural Woman podcast, you can head on over to wildrosefarmer.com and learn more and join in supporting the stories of women in agriculture to be shared through the Rural Woman podcast. Without further ado, my friends, let's get to this week's episode with Larissa. Aloha, Larissa. How are you? Hi, Caitlin. I'm doing great. How are you? I am doing very well. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Rural Woman Pod. So excited to get to know your story and to get to know you better and to share it with my audience. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you guys about bees and beekeeping. A beekeeper in Hawaii, of all places, Larissa, I am so jealous right now. Look into the bleak March brown grass. Luckily, I don't have any snow I'm looking at, but it's still pretty brown out there. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, a lot of people of Hawaii as tropical and lots of flowers, but I'm in Kona on the Big Island. And here we have our active volcano, volcano Kilauea. And <laughs> most people when they fly into the Kona airport are surprised by it. it's just a sea of black. Right. Well, I, I went to Hawaii with my husband. This was back in, oh gosh, 2019, I think. And he's been all over Hawaii mm-hmm. before, but that was my very first time. And we went to the big island and that was my only experience with Hawaii. What you're talking about. And I think just the different landscapes there, like, and how much it varies is just so interesting. We could probably do a whole podcast just on the big island and all of the cool things that's happening there. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, we have 10 of the world's 14 different climate zones here, which makes beekeeping very interesting. <laughs> You're talking about like almost every climate zone possible you can put your bees in without having to drive hours. Yeah. Um, it makes beekeeping so different here than almost really anywhere else. Exactly. So see, I haven't talked to a full-time beekeeper either here on the Rural Woman podcast. So I get the best of both worlds here is Hawaii and beekeeping. So <laughs> listeners who are unfamiliar with you, Larissa, give us your background and how you got your start in agriculture. Sure. I grew up in Philadelphia and became a graphic designer. <laughs> so I have very little background in any kind of farming or ag other than my father was chemist for the USD over 35 years. And then in my 20s, a friend of mine from Maine, who's been a good friend of mine for years, bought me a worm bin for herself and then made a worm bin for me, some worms from eBay. I had them on the roof of the parking garage, which was like a, a little green roof. They had gardens up there in my apartment in downtown Philly. And then from a worm bin was a garden, and then she had this idea we should put beehives up there. So I kept bees for a couple of years on the roof of this parking garage, and it went, like, really horribly. I <laughs> I really couldn't have done it. I, I called myself a bee killer, not a beekeeper. <laughs> My first year, I bought a package of bees. I put them in the beehive, and they absconded, which means that all of the bees take off, including the the queen and bee, except for the ones that were out foraging when they left a week into having them. And the next year I tried again with two more hives and they both died over winter for, for varroa mites and starvation. And I'm going to give up because I just, you know, thought I was bad at it. And then I took a trip to Hawaii uh, just as a vacation. And when I was there, I learned about these interns called woofing. 
And what they do is they give you room and board in exchange for you working for free on their farm. And there was a farm on the Big Island, which happened to be my favorite place when I was visiting Hawaii. And they were a bee farm. And they had other products as well. They specifically had a beekeeping internship for six months that was starting in like six weeks that they were interviewing for. <laughs> so I um, applied for it because I was really loved Hawaii and really wanted to learn why I wasn't good at beekeeping. And they, me, because, you know, having anyone that had any kind of knowledge of beekeeping was better than just having someone come and have to teach them everything from scratch. I spent six years working at their farm, and then while there, I took a job working at another beekeeping apiary uh, down the street and then worked for them for seven years. Uh, well, I started my own apiary and be happy, which is now what I run on my own and do beekeeping education as well on my own. So very much a city girl. I don't think my parents have ever been hiking. I don't think my mom's ever been camping, <laughs> but just kind of fell into it and just kept on following these opportunities that came in front of me that were just a little bit scary, but also things that just as well. Larissa, this is such a wild story. And can I just say, <laughs> like your friend who bought you a worm bin as a gift, like I'm the type of friend <laughs> that gifts Starbucks gift cards. I don't typically give people worm bins. <laughs> I know. Yeah. At least from Maine, I don't know if that helps explain anything. <laughs> when we were roommates in college, she made me cloth napkins. She would shut off the air conditioner. When I would wash dishes, I would turn around to, like, put a dish in the drying rack, and she would shut the water off, like, be right next to me, shutting the water off as I would be turning around. And then I have to turn it back on again. And I'm like, stop it! <laughs> Well, you know, the world thanks your friend, Allie, because, you know, we need people and friends like that out here <laughs> fighting the good fight. <laughs> yeah, I never had a plant before her. You know, the funny thing is that Allie still lives in Philadelphia. She has had bees the last 10 years since then. Her mom lives in Maine, and now her mom is really into bees and even does like the craft fairs and farmers markets and sells her beeswax products keeping bees on, on the roof of her of her house in Philly. And uh, Philly, there's a lot of trees in the city, but it's definitely more difficult than, than the rural areas to keep bees. Yeah, for sure. Well, and it's just you know, having these small spaces that you, you were keeping bees on the rooftop of a parking garage. This is, you know, gives me ideas and I'm sure gives the listeners ideas of how much space you actually need to keep bees their climates and different factors, but it sounds like, you know, there are places that you can keep bees that we probably wouldn't think of. Oh, yeah. And that's really the best, one of the best parts about beekeeping is it's in some ways easier when you're in this than having a garden because you don't even need grass. You don't even need dirt. You can have them on a concrete block. I interviewed Andrew Cote and he's done those swarm removals. I think they were in, in the news for a while, there was a swarm on the umbrella of a hot dog stand in Times Square. And, you know, he, he does a lot of the removals in New York City. And you just, he has them on the roofs of these buildings in Manhattan. Uh, cemeteries, I always try to push for cemeteries when, when people say they don't have anywhere to keep bees. Because nobody, like, you know, there's hardly anybody at a cemetery. It's a very quiet place. 
but you have lots of and probably lots of flowers and the roofs of of buildings, schools. There are so many places that you can put a beehive. There, there are two things that can make it tricky, and one is foot traffic because you don't want to don't want to be bothered. I had one woman accuse one of my bees of stinging her, and it's kind of silly. You know, can't really prove it's my bee, but. <laughs> At the same time, you know, on a deep with severe allergies, getting hurt. And then also, you know, brain, because anyone can just go to the hardware store and buy a spray, and that can kill bees as well as lots of other insects when you're spraying flowers in the middle of the daytime. But other than that, there are so many places you can, you can put a beehive. Yeah, absolutely. You can help support the stories of women in agriculture to be shared through the Rural Woman podcast on Patreon. What is Patreon? It's a membership-based platform that helps fund and support creators like me to create and produce content like this that you all love. New to the Rural Woman podcast, Patreon is ad-free listening and patron-only bonus content and exclusive episodes. Learn more and join the patron gang today at patreon.com slash the rural woman podcast. So I want to talk more about your internship. Like this just sounds like the best going to Hawaii and finding this internship seems like the jackpot of all internships and being able to work for six months for this farm. Tell us what your biggest learning experiences were during this internship there on their farm. <laughs> you know, this internship, it was, it was such a crazy internship. Uh, so here in Hawaii, yeah, I definitely looked out and then I just, the right time, it was a place I wanted to be. And what a lot of people don't know is that Kona, Hawaii is the home of queen breeding. And since we have such a moderate climate and low wind, which is very queen bees going on their mating flight, you know, the rainy season's not that rainy. It doesn't get that hot or too cold. So some of the world's largest queen breeders are here in the town that I live in, Kona. And these queen breeders are sending out, you know, 10, 20, 30,000 queen bees. So it's not that crazy that there was beekeeping internships in Hawaii because there's actually quite a bit of a beekeeping industry here. It's just not as much in the honey production. So the, the owners were really interesting people. They had retired. The owner has many patents out. He started this multi-million dollar toy company on the mainland and then retired and bought 70 acres of Big Island. And he fixed up some old tractor he found sitting on the property, started clearing away the cane grass, which is this really tall grass that can, like, give you some pretty bad cuts. It has rated edges on it. And he was clearing away the grass and just came across all this old beekeeping equipment, and some of it had bees in it. So they taught themselves beekeeping. And when I got there, so when I first applied for the job, they covered 30 hives plus macnut trees and coffee trees and, and did a few other things. When I was interviewing, they said that they were having small hive beetle problems and that moving down to like, they had maybe 50 hives left. And then they emailed me uh, like a week or so before I was supposed to leave, had already bought my ticket and stuff and told me that they had more like 10 or so hives left if I still wanted to come. <laughs> 
So I came and when I looked in the beehives and like, you know, did a full inspection of all of them when we first got there, one hive that actually made it by the end of that week. So at first, uh, you know, I, I really thought I made a huge mistake. I, I wanted to go back home, but you know, that would have meant losing the ticket because, you know, I was 30 and so didn't buy your traveler's insurance. <laughs> um, you know, you don't buy that stuff when you're like in your 20s. And when you're turning 30, I feel like you're just in luck starting to be a little bit more responsible, but still like not spending the extra money on things like that. So I stayed and just did a lot of coffee farming and pulling weeds and mac nut husking and stuff. And slowly we were building that farm. I taught myself queen. By the time I left, they had 26 hives. But while I was there, you know, the owner, he would always say things to me like, the fastest way for a beekeeper to make $2 million is to start with 10. You know, like he was always just telling me pretty much that I wasn't going to make any money as a beekeeper. And it was like how he was just losing money. And I saw his farm lose almost all of their hives. And there were other bee farms that had lost everything. The farm I got a job with down the road, they had 4,000 hives. And then due to the small hive beetle infestation, about 800. So I unintentionally, what I saw, which was really sad, but helpful for me, was how quickly you can do everything right and then still just lose it all. Because some pest arrives that you didn't even know could arrive. And for us here in Hawaii, uh, since we're so isolated, we haven't had to in up until about 15 years ago. They didn't have to deal with these common pests that most beekeepers deal with, like the varroa mite and the small hive beetle. But unfortunately for Hawaii, once these things, they thrive like everything else with no frost and just this perfect climate all this food. So the combination of the varroa mite arriving in 2007 and weakening the beehives and then a couple of years later, the small hive beetle is just an opportunistic pest and was just destroying the weak hives from the varroa mite. So it was really tricky figuring out exactly how because we were just seeing a small hive beetle. We weren't seeing this smaller mite on the bees and then figuring out that this was a two-step process and ultimately figuring out what what was really causing the disease. So it it really did scare me quite a bit into depending or relying on beekeeping as my sole source of income. I had always, I, my graphic design clients the, as a freelancer for, for a really long time because I just was really scared to depend on beekeeping. <laughs> For, for my only source of income after seeing so many people lose their businesses that way. Like this little tiny beetle wiping out hundreds and thousands of hives across the island. That's that's really scary. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and I saw how they, were. they had mac nuts and they had coffee and they did a lot of purchasing from other farms and mark, they, they were good at marketing. They also bought honey from other people and they would just put it in their containers and sell it. So that was their backup. And it's really good to see as a farmer how farms can have that backup plan and what they can do. Because, you know, maybe you're not a graphic designer on this side, but as a farm, what what can you do to just 
make sure that you don't lose everything if something happens to the big crop that that you are harvesting. Yeah, exactly. And to be able to diversify to sustain your business is definitely something that mm-hmm. is extremely important in of agriculture. Yeah. And you know, it's something that we're seeing with COVID too, like almost every business, so many here in Hawaii, the tourism businesses was almost gone for a year. And people are seeing how almost any business, there's just no guarantee that everything will go right, no matter how how well you run your your business. You just can't depend on just one yeah, source of income. Exactly. So I'm really about the queen bee breeding. It's something that I don't think I've ever thought about. I think about like when I'm <laughs> thinking about bulls and breeding and all of these things, but I've never thought about a queen bee breeding. So tell us what that problem is. Yeah, I mean, that's normal to not really <laughs> lay in bed thinking about how do they breed queen bees. <laughs> Queen bee breeding, it's a big business here. They're selling their queen bees anywhere from maybe $20 to $35 a piece. And what what happens is the the honeybees, when they don't have a queen present, they're aware of this pretty quickly because of the pheromones. So I, and they say it takes about 20 minutes for the bees to start to pick up on the fact that her pheromone is dissipating. And then they get go right into a mode of having to queen bee. And so what they do is they take an egg that the queen laid that's fertile, that would have been a worker bee, and they feed a royal jelly throughout its egg and larva stage. And then they also build the cell out so that it almost looks like a small, similar shape of a peanut shell just hanging off of the frame. And then that queen hatches in two weeks. And so as a queen breeder, you're really just trying to do you'll that egg, you know, it's fed royal jelly, no matter if it's going to be a worker bee or a queen. But once it hatches, that first day, they, they scoop it up with this like teeny little tool that almost looks but made of a, a soft plastic. And they put it into a little cup. And they'll have a frame with, you know, maybe like 30 cups or so and they put it into a hot bee and those worker bees will feed those cells royal jelly and make a whole bunch of queen bees the i would say that one of the trickiest parts about queen breeding or maybe just the most annoying parts is how strict the schedule is because the queen bee is going to hatch in about 14 days, maybe 16 days. And so the first queen that hatches, she's behind every other queen bee. And she pretty much just has a stinger so that she can kill her competition. I've never had a queen bee sting me. Her stinger isn't barbed. So you know, she wouldn't die if she was to sting you. And, and she'll dab all of those queens inside their cell before they even hatch. And if multiple queens have hatched at the same time, they'll find each other and just battle it out with their stingers till one kills the other. So you got to get all of those queens to kill the 29 other queens that you have in your hive. So that doesn't matter, you know, what day of the week it is. And you're, you're stuck to that, that schedule. And so that's really the, the tricky part. And then you're, you're putting each queen cell in their own little, they have these like teeny little hives. They're super cute. They're really small and they, 
have just like these little houses, this little mating nuke. So they'll have one queen cell in there with a few bees and that queen will hatch, go out on her mating flight. And when she comes back and she starts laying, then they'll cage her up and she's ready for sale. That is so neat. Oh my goodness. It's like the story of the queen bees and the stabbing of each other and all of the things. It's so vicious. It's... <laughs> It's like just highlighting the power of women. And it doesn't matter if they're a bee or not. They're just fierce lady bees. <laughs> <laughs> and the bee world is a little vicious. Once you get to know them, you stop seeing them as these like cute little... I mean, like even the queen bee, you know, when, when the hive has decided that she's not fertile enough to produce enough eggs to sustain the hive, they they will kill her. And they usually call it balling her though there won't just be one bee who, who goes and, and kills the queen they like collectively surround the queen the queen is their mother and these are her daughters <laughs> that are all just like circling around her collectively killing her I'm, i don't really know what's worse i would rather i think be killed by just one of my children than like all <laughs> twenty thousand of them <laughs> oh my goodness this could be like a netflix documentary about all of this <laughs> There is some artificial insemination of queens. I I don't have that, but there are some people that, you know, like will gather the semen from the drones. But for the most part, the queen breeders that I've met, they all just allow that to happen naturally in their mating yard. Very neat. But, but that is a possibility if some people are looking for specific genetics and stuff. Oh, that is so neat. Thank you for sharing that with us. Now studied about queen bees and I'm going to definitely be, now I'm going to be laying in bed at night thinking about queen bees. <laughs> when I first started working for the second bee farm, though, my first week, they were requeening. And every year they go and they kill every queen bee in the hive and they put a new one in. And this is because they're less fertile. And especially here in Hawaii, since they're laying eggs year round, they become not so fertile a lot faster. And I would lay in bed and I would close my eyes and I would just have these awful images of all the queen bees who's two three queens chopping off their head with your hive tool and then putting a new queen in. And we would just go through yards of like a hundred beehives and just one after the other. And I felt so awful that as a beekeeper <laughs> was having to do that. I can't do that now in my own apiary. I just don't have the heart to, to requeen. I just let my bees do it for me. Right. Nature take it. I would probably be the exact same as you. <laughs> You have heard me tell you all about the amazing benefits that come with being a patron of the Roll Woman podcast through Patreon, but I wanted to share with you a few testimonials from the patron gang themselves. Patron Tiffany writes, being able to support Caitlin telling the stories of amazing women in egg is a great way to support all of us. Without her telling our stories, would we be willing to talk about them ourselves? I love hearing a new podcast on Fridays, plus getting to hear some outtakes and a chance to win some great gear as a patron is definitely a perk. Egg supports egg, and this is just one way I help support agriculture. Join Tiffany in supporting the stories of women in agriculture through the Rural Woman podcast starting at $2 a month on Patreon. Visit wildrosefarmer.com slash Patreon to learn more.
So I want to talk more about the apiary that you worked at after your internship. It was the country's largest company. So tell me kind of what the key differences are. I myself am an organic farmer, so I know there's difference between conventional and organic when it comes to grain farming, but I'm unfamiliar with the techniques that are used in beekeeping. So what kind of main differences are? Sure. Yeah, I used to get really upset because a lot of people don't believe that organic honey exists because bees can fly up to this like three and you can't control what's going on you know, that far away from your beehives. Most people don't own that much property. That's a lot of land. And so it's have certified organic honey, but there are a lot of people that'll just put, you know, organic on the label if they're just selling it at a, a farmer's market or something. But to be certified by the USDA as having organic honey, there's a lot has to go on. And the Big Island is probably one of the few places where you can do this because we are so isolated. And that's just kind of what it takes. Unfortunately, now there are so many people that, that spray non-organic things. It's really hard to find such a large area that's not being sprayed. Here we have just an enormous amount of lava fields. So the first part is you, know, you can put your bees with that radius where the, the bees won't be going to an area that's non-organic land. The lava fields are one of them because almost nothing can survive except for the ohia tree. And that tree has a flower that produces a honey we call the lehua honey. And then, of course, there's the treatments you put inside your hive. Like I mentioned, there's the varroa mite. And the varroa mite is a parasite and viruses and weaken the bees. And one of the things a beekeeper can do is put a treatment in, but a lot of the treatments are not organic. So there were two different treatments that they could use that they could alternate between that were organic. And then there's a lot of other small rules. You like have to have a water source at all of the bee yards and things of that sort. They do come by and do testing the honey. And I, I believe they have to be able to link it back to what yard that honey came from when they ask them. And their honey, they harvested three different their hives for their three different honeys. So the macadamia nut blossom honey was not certified organic because that's just not possible to find that much macna farms on space that are organic. These were from flower that is one's from a tree and one's from more like a wildflower. And so those we were they're able to find large spaces of organic That is so interesting. And like you said, I you know, the big island is so isolated and to be able to kind of create this place that these are honestly not touching anything that has hasn't touched you know, a chemical or a pesticide or anything like that. Like it's, it's a pretty special space to be able to say that. It's definitely rare. And so I, I understand where some people think it doesn't exist because it, it almost doesn't. Right. And it's sad that it doesn't, but it's just, you know, the world we live in now. And there is the one benefit is that the honeybees action uh, is called flower fidelity. And so when you're harvesting a blossom specific kind of honey, it's a little tricky because you can't tell the bees what to go to and what not to go to. But when they go on a trip to Florida, they like to go to one specific flower over and over and over again on that trip and fill up their honey sack with just the nectar from one kind of flower. 
So when you put them in an area that's predominantly ohiic, even though there may be wildflowers on the ground and stuff, they're going to bypass those flowers and just keep on going to the flowers on the ohia tree instead. So that does help as well because of very that can be a little bit trickier. It, there, there could be someone that, that might be spraying somewhere in their little property, in their personal garden, maybe a vegetable garden or something. But if they're, uh, and they're like almost programmed to go to the Christmas berry blossoms, they will bypass some other flowers and just go to that weed. So that is a benefit that the beekeeper does have. Yeah. Too. Bees are just so cool. I just, they are just little fighters. And like you said, they're going to where they are basically programmed to go to because that's the flower that they want and they'll bypass anything on the way. So that's very neat. Yeah, they are they're pretty fascinating. Yeah, I've been doing this for 10 years and I still could just like pick up a book about bees and just read it and learn new things. And that's one of the things that I love about beekeeping is that it's just I'm still always learning new things and puzzling me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So you started your own apiary, like you said, Be Happy Hawaii. Tell us, you know, why you decided to go out on your own. I decided to have my own hives because I just wanted to do things, just wanted to try things. The owner of the farm I worked for was a beekeeper. Really, you know, <laughs> For someone who runs a commercial apiary, I was very fortunate to work for this one because there's a lot of commercial apiaries that treat bees like they're just subject. And it was very sad to see. But he was a, a really nice guy and genuinely loved bees. His first hive was when he was three. But that being said, the way his dad and his grandfather and everybody taught him how to keep bees was how he I needed to keep. And I knew enough and was a good enough employee that I knew that I was going to do things the way he told me to do them, at least when he was standing there in front of me. But I also wanted to see what happened if I didn't do that. You know, like he would say, if you're going to split that high, you got to put it at least a mile away. I'm like, but what would happen if I just put it right next door? What What's the big deal? Why aren't they going to stay in this box? I don't understand. <laughs> and it's just always my nature is to just, I would ask him why, and he wouldn't ever answer me why. He would just be like, just, just do it. <laughs> Leave me alone. I'm busy. So that's why beehives, because I wanted to play around with these things, and I wanted to try different things. And now that I was over my fear of killing them, like I did on my own in Philadelphia, I was ready to just try it. That is so good. That is so good. And I think just the fact that you were curious of doing things differently, I think, you know, I look at our own situation here on the farm. It's my husband is the third generation on here and he is not doing or near the way that his grandfather or even his father did things. So being curious and doing things a little bit differently just to see how they might work out. I think that's how, you know, you grow in agriculture. And when you grow in beekeeping, you're trying new things to think, to just see if they'll work. And I think that's great. I was looking on your website, Larissa, and the philosophy that you have for your apiary is, I think, a philosophy that I think 
a lot of people adopt or need to adopt <laughs> of keeping things simple, do more with fewer gadgets, keep an open mind because no two hives are alike and don't try and fix every problem for it. And I think that is just such a great philosophy to have and a philosophy that you are now teaching. So you started doing in-person classes and now you're also teaching online classes. So tell us more about how you started those. I started teaching when I was at the commercial forum I originally worked for. They wanted to, and when they hired me, they hired me under the impression that I would, I would help them with the tours. And at first, I wasn't even spending much time with the bees. They had me working in their store running at cash register. <laughs> I was really bored. And so I really pushed to get them help with their tours and then spent some time out in the yard with the beekeepers and was just doing a wide variety of things. And so I started teaching people about bees at their farm. It was an intro to beekeeping. It was opening a beehive and showing people that know very little about bees to experienced beekeepers, the basics about how honey is made and what goes on in a bee, what a queen looks like. I got bored with the same questions and the same script and stuff. And so when I started my own farm and Big Island Bees anymore, my husband kept pushing me to continue to do to do classes and to continue to teach people beekeeping. And at first I didn't want to because I didn't want to promote beekeeping because it was a way to talk about bees and to learn about them and to teach people about them, but to not give classes. And I was like very much against trying to encourage beekeeping. <laughs> I didn't want people to do what I did. You know, I I hurt the bees more than I helped them those first few years. And a lot of beginners lose their first few hives. And there's a lot of ways to help the bees don't involve bees. But then I had a really persistent woman at the bee club just continue to pester me. I started this bee club to try to get bees to network. But really, the only people that were showing up to these meetings were people that wanted to learn beekeeping and weren't beekeepers yet. And so through this club is kind of how I think classes. People just kept on coming and wanting me to tease, not wanting to talk to me about their beehives. So I finally started the in-person classes, and I really loved it. It was so nice to have a more thorough class than that one-hour class. And some of these people already had beehives and were struggling and were already at that point that I was. And when I had bees in Philadelphia, and they really just needed somebody the way that I needed it came to Hawaii. I really fell in love with giving these classes, but I'd say maybe six months into it, I became pregnant with my son. And either a few workshops, but then had had to stop once I was further along and then had the baby. And I was trying to send people to some kind of online class, but couldn't really find any that was in depth that created an online class to help people that that don't have an in-person class to go to. And actually what the interesting thing I found with these online classes is that a lot of people that already have bees but <laughs> forgot all of those things they learned in their class because it was, you know, a year ago and it was a lot of information and they couldn't really I mean who can who can go to a four day workshop? and learn all the stuff about keeping bees or, or really 
almost any of these hobbies. And then and then remember it a year later when they're standing there with stinging insects in front of them. Right. <laughs> Well, and it's so nice to be able to go back online and to be able to reference what you've taught them, you know, after seeing something one time and being expected to remember this in kind of a high stakes, like having 10,000 stinging bees in front of you and <laughs> expect to remember what you're supposed to be doing, right? And the sun and the sweat's dripping down your face and you're <laughs> in this full length dude and, and you're supposed to like what to do. I mean, it it, it really just doesn't make sense when when I was thinking about it and when I was talking to students from my in-person classes they were still telling me oh my hives are doing good but they just swarmed and I'm like but I taught you how to prevent swarming Uh, or I I still got a small hive beetle infestation or this still happened and and I was it was really starting to to click for me that the doing these in person wasn't really enough for for my students to remember. Some people are good with books. There are some great beekeeping books out there. I personally, I just can't. I really have difficulty trying to read how to do something in a book. It just I can't really. There's still a disconnect for me. I really need to see what someone's doing. It just kind of depends on. I think some people just learn in different ways. Yeah, absolutely. So for the listener in learning more about your online beekeeping, where can they find out more information? Yeah, they can go to beekeepingmadesimple.com and that's where they can learn about the classes. And we have a free getting started guide for people that are but maybe aren't sure if they're ready for it and want to learn more about what's entailed. Then we also have that at beekeepingmadesimple.com slash I also saw on your website course that if you purchase the course, then they're able to come to your farm at some point and come and see you in person. So that's almost, you know, (laughs) enough incentive for me to beekeep myself just to come see your farm and (laughs) see you in Hawaii. Yeah, I wanted to offer people the option to get that hands on if they want it. It's not a requirement and maybe you can find someone through a beacon that's willing to let you get that hands-on but it's still nice to to be able to see what someone else's setup looks like and to have someone to point out the queen who's standing next to you it's there there's some things that can be lost online so i wanted to not lose that personal aspect and people don't have to live in hawaii but you have to have a place to sleep for the night <laughs> um, and a way to, we're not far from the kona airport maybe 20 minute drive but yeah, anyone who takes the class is welcome to come spend the morning with us and the bees and the classes you have the option but you can pay the extra I think it's like $35 or something. And it includes mentorship with the online class because that's what was the game changer for me. It made beekeeping not scary. And why I feel like I stopped making so many mistakes was having somebody to just ask questions. I think the biggest for beginners is that they they try to learn everything, which is impossible because I still don't know everything. And I've been doing this full time year-round for 10 years. So there's always going to be these things that come up that just make you go, huh, before. And without somebody to just talk it over with can make beekeeping really stressful and not fun. And I feel like you make more mistakes. Well, I always recommend to my students and to beginner beekeepers or 
all beekeepers. Like, if you don't know what to do, just close up the beehive and walk away. Because most likely what you're going to do at that point is going to cause more harm. <laughs> so don't try to fix the problem if you don't know what you're going to do to make it better. And have somebody that you can talk it over with. So people can email me if they took the class or if you have someone in your bee club or something you can talk it over with. But I'm a pretty introverted person. I am not the kind of person that can go to a club meeting and just start talking to strangers. <laughs> really awkward, sweaty, like, I don't even, I don't know. I don't really know why my body does this, but it's something I've just accepted at this point in my life. So for people that are like that, you know, just putting themselves out there and meeting new people, we offer the mentorship so that you have someone you can email questions and photos and, and talk to about this kind of stuff. That is so great. And it's such a great service that you're offering to introverts like myself, who also <laughs> get sweaty and awkward when doing these things. And I think it's so funny from the amount of people that I talk to that are in podcasting like yourself and myself who are introverted. I'm curious that we all kind of collaborate and do do podcasts with one <laughs> another. Because <laughs> you can't see my sweaty armpits in the podcast. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'll just wear a black shirt everywhere I can tell that I'm sweating constantly. Absolutely. For the listeners who are interested in learning more about your podcast, what's the name of it and where can they find it? I call it The Buzz About Bees. And you can find it on Apple Podcasts or all of the podcasting apps and Spotify and all those places. That is so great. Larissa, it has been so today I am obsessed with bees now and I'm just going to be on the Google machine and I'm just going to go to bed tonight thinking about those queen bees. <laughs> In good ways. Don't, yes. don't judge them too harshly. <laughs> you know what? I just think they're amazing. It's so good. My last question for you is what is the most rewarding part about being a beekeeper for you? Hmm, good question. Hey, the most rewarding part is probably, I just love talking to people about bees. Mostly just the, the random people that I come across when they find out I'm a beekeeper. And then they have all these questions for me. And they go from, you know, thinking that bees just me. And it's something that we like extract with a syringe to learning that bees go to flowers. And that's how pollination works and that's why flowers are maybe able to bear fruit and you know like where food comes from and just like open eyes up to food and how this is all made because someone who grew up in the city I never really thought about it and so when I I that have that similar kind of background especially kids when kids when we would do like class trips and have kids come to the farm and talk to them about it i just i just love teaching kids and people that knew absolutely nothing about bees so great even just a little bit about them yeah so good and that they're not scared of them and don't run away from them <laughs> <laughs> well i was definitely one of those kids growing up who was scared of the bees and ran away and had their purpose was in this great big world besides stinging me so i know me too <laughs> right I'm so happy that the bee community has someone like you who has such a passion for bees and sharing the good word of the bees. So thank you much for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for inviting me.
Thanks for listening to the Rural Woman Podcast. A special thanks to our Patreon executive producer, Sarah Reedner of Happiness by the Acre, and to my editor, Max Hofer. For show notes, head on over to wildrosefarmer.com. You can connect with me on social media using the handle at wildrosefarmer on all platforms. If you love the show, make sure you're subscribed wherever you listen to podcasts, plus share it with a friend. We'll see you next time.